0: If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. No, 1 Corinthians 13, sorry. We're going to start on verses 1 through 3, but we're probably not going to get into them. No? We're going to start on verses 1 through 3, and we are not going to get into them. Um, Because we're going to deal with an issue... Well, you'll hear I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll see what I'm getting at uh, in, in a moment. Um, if you would, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. We'll read the word of the Lord, and then we will ask Him to help us to hear. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Father we come before your throne. Lord I beg you give us ears to hear. What your your apostle to the Gentiles tells us this day. Father to a church that struggles. And father then even as the church in Corinth struggled your bride this day struggles. Father help us to hear, help us to see, help us to rest. The Father, most of all, I beg you, help us to love in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen. The first three verses of chapter 13 is the importance of love, period. And um, he's writing to a church that uh, when it came to spiritual gifts, lacked nothing. It was God-ordained church, it was a God-glorifying church, and yet the single basic principle of Christendom they had missed. This isn't new. Uh, By 90 AD, the church in Ephesus was doing everything that a church is supposed to do. They were lacking absolutely no gift. They were reaching many people. God was adding to their numbers. Their doctrine was solid. Their focus was the word of God, the power of prayer. And yet God says, I have this one thing against you. Return to your first love. So love became the issue. Now I want you to grab a hold of this. And I set a a framework last week that you really, if you weren't here, you need to either download it or CD it or MP3 it or whatever it is you got to do because it hangs on what we're doing. And it hangs on the book. This is the, the heart and soul of this book. Okay, This is the heart and soul of personal holiness, period. All right, Chapter 13, it ain't got nothing to do with being married. I mean, it, it's cute. I've heard this preached many, many, many times, chapter 13. I, I've read uh, many different volumes on this, and, and, and I understand it, but I tell you what, the real power, the real power of this text is in its context. Because he starts it out with the flow of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a supernatural entity and it manifests Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 12 says. And in that Corinthians 12, you see that God has empowered the body of Christ individually so it collectively will manifest Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 14, he says, by the way, here's how the gifts operate. This is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to reach and manifest Christ, convict the lost, edify the saints, and will be this massive, powerful entity that nothing can touch in all of creation. But sandwiched in between that is the environment and what this thing exists. Okay? And this has been so corrupted. Um, I want to back you up because in verse 31, I, I think a tragedy, part of my tragedy of this text, to teach it and to, uh, to study it, is that they call it chapter 12, they call it chapter 13, they call it chapter 14. It should be a chapter. Truthfully, it should be taught as a message. Okay? Which would make for a very long day. All right? In chapter thirty chapter twelve, verse thirty-one, he says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. And I shared with you this a couple of weeks in a row now, and this is the third week, and I want you to understand this. You need to hear this. The word there that is desire, okay, covet, depending on your translation, can either be translated in the imperative or indicative, all right? And the only way that you know the translation is its context. Is it imperative or is it indicative? Now, you've got to ask yourself a question. Did he say here, I command you to seek the greater gifts? Or did he say here, stop coveting the greater gifts? In the flow of the context, what do you conclude? Stop. Why? Self-centeredness was not an issue for this church. They had excelled at it. And he says, I need to show you a better way, a more excellent way. This group was self-centered. It was was group-centered. They had the the little personality cults. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of this teacher. I am of this teacher. I am of this method. I am of this system. They were very boastful. They were very me-oriented. And Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way. He says, more than coveting the showy gifts, I want to show you how to be content." With what you have. I want to put an end to your conflict. I want to put an end to your struggle. I want to put an end to your pride. To your self-seeking. I want to show you the excellent way. Here's the church in Corinth. They lack no gifts. Here's the issue in Corinth. Hear me very clearly. They had no fruit. Of the Spirit of God. Okay, now, hear what I used there. I didn't say fruits. I said fruit of the Spirit. What the heck is the big deal with that? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writing to an area that's called Galatia. A group of churches in this area. Okay. Verse 22 of chapter 5, you need to look at this. This is overlooked so many times. Okay? But the fruits of the spirit Is that what it says? No, it says fruit, singular. Okay. Now, without getting into syntax and all this other weird stuff that the Greek construction sentence makes and all the rest of it, let me show you how this thing works. What is fruit of the Spirit? If someone were to ask you today, what is the fruit of the Spirit, what would you say it is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Nope, you're wrong. Fruit of the Spirit is love. And the dimensions of that love is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Okay? Now, this is so clear. I really need you to see this because we have these little banners and knittings and bumper stickers and all the rest of it. The truth of the matter is you have love and because I have this supernatural love, I now have joy. Because I have love of God poured into my heart, I now have peace. Because of this overwhelming invasion of the love of God in me, I have patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now think about that. Now everybody says, Well, don't terry, that's no, whoa, 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 whoa. Look at verse 19. The deeds of the flesh are what? Evident. Evident. You know what that means, right? I can see them. <laughs> That's what it means. I oh, see that. That's the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now, if you look how he breaks this out, first one, it is the flesh. Second one is, is our spiritual side. And third is, is the way that I will deal with other people them go against what love love if you don't have fruit of the spirit then the gifts of the spirit are functioning in the flesh what was happening in the church in Corinth I would like to speak as you as spiritual but I must speak to you as carnal Why? Because you are of the flesh. You should be eating meat and potatoes right now, but you have to go back to baby food. All right, now hear this closely. If you look at your text in Galatians 5, and if the fruit of the Spirit is not evident, then the gifts that are being exercised are of the flesh, which makes them counterfeit. They are not real. They are not of the Spirit of God. If you do not have fruit, then the gifts are functioning in the flesh. What is the fruit? do, Do you see the first three verses in chapter 12, 13? If you have a speaking gift, if you have a serving gift, even if you are willing to go all the way to the point of martyrdom and you have no love, what are you? You're noisy. But so Paul says, you're a clanging symbol. You're like fingernails on the chalkboard. See, listen. The believer walks in the Spirit. The Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. Out of the fruit of the Spirit comes the gift of the Spirit. You begin to see the working of the Spirit, and it is in the power of the Spirit. If you have no fruit, love isn't manifest and the dimensions of love are not there. When I see a person who is not at peace, when I see a person who does not have patience, when I see a person who is not gentle, when I see a person who does not have joy, what's wrong with them? There's no love. There's no love. It's counterfeit. So if you go back to your text, he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. How? Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm going to step on some toes today. And I'm going to in the weeks to come and I'll apologize you know what? And I may say something that you say, I am pointing right straight at you and maybe I'm sharing something that I shouldn't have shared. Really? Is that love? You want to see Castle Rock grow numerically? There's only one way. You must bear fruit and there's only one. And I ask you right now, do you know joy? Do you know peace? Now, Do you understand that? Joy is not happiness. Joy is saying, no worries. It's not the little smiley face dude. Joy says, even if I am weeping with you, I know God is here. How about peace? I'm talking absolute harmony, no conflict, absolute tranquility, gentleness, kindness. How about self control? Have you ever had a huh, huh, moment? Huh? Maybe sometimes it's gone a little more. Huh? Is that patience? No. You know what it is? It's saying, I can do it. You know what you just did? Counterfeited anything God's doing for you. All right, so now I, I need to stop because right now I had it all laid out. I was going to pick up my outline. and We're just cruise through this thing. And you know what? I thought, there's a more excellent way. What way is that? Love. Fruit of the Spirit you have fruit of the Spirit, then you'll see the gift of the Spirit operating in the power of the Spirit. If the gift is operating in the flesh, I don't have to worry about the fruit of the Spirit, and guess what? It's counterfeit. You know what it is? Go back to Corinthians 6. It's wood, hay, and stubble. Well, I'll get to go up and hand Jesus a big old pile of ash and say, look what I got for you. I did good. The intention is honorable. But the environment in which it's working in is what? The flesh. How eternal is the flesh? It's not. Okay? And then the greatest of all of these is what? 1313. Love. Everything else passes away except love. All right. Listen. I'm going to get right to the point. Our world, our society, Our culture, you and I, okay, here in Castle Rock, Colorado, 2007, haven't got the foggiest idea what the word love means. We're clueless. We cruise along. Have you ever really thought about it? I love Corvettes, Harley Davidson, my wife, and dogs. That works well. And that's love. We got love everywhere. I mean, we write songs about it. We have books about it. We, and, and I'm not talking about the country and western love songs. I'm talking about we sing, oh, how he loves you and me. Really? Do you really know what you're saying? Do you really understand that? And I... I don't know. You know, I can get... Here, let me give this to you a lot. Agapo, agape, agapon all means the highest level of love and it is love that is associated with God. Unquote. Woohoo! Well, what the heck does that mean? Okay. I was trying to grab this and say, how do I make this... How do I explain what it means. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I lost sleep over trying to get the definition. It's supernatural love, it's not natural. Gee, many crickets, we got supernatural, we throw that word around for everything. So what does it mean? Well, God knows how stupid I am. He says, try this. So I said, you know what, why don't I look at love... As what it doesn't mean. Some of you guys just left the building on that one. Okay. (laughs) It doesn't mean. Okay. New Testament, agape, agapon, all right? Never, 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 never is it romantic nor sexual. Never. Has nothing to do with romance. Okay? And yet, how many times have I heard Ephesians 5? Husbands love your wives so you need to send them flowers not on their birthday or valentine's day just out of the clear blue go around and open the door for them you know get up one early one morning and just do the honey do list okay and not have her look at you and tell you you need to do it just go do it is that what that word means there Opening the doors, flowers? You know how many books, how many sermons, how many anyway are written on that text that deal with romance, feelings? Okay? You don't you think I'm kidding you? The two are one. What does that mean? When a husband, when a man and a woman come together in the covenant of Jesus Christ, the two are one. What does that mean? It ain't got nothing to do with sex. Absolutely nothing to do with it. The context doesn't even give you that. What does it mean? The two are one. Love. Agape. Well, but I mean, is it? No. And I mean, how many times? You know, I love you so much that if you would just have sex with me, that would be a show. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It ain't even a good lie. We got to be able to do better than I used that hundreds of years ago. Okay? So it's not romantic nor sexual. All right? Second thing, love never means an emotional um, sentimental, sensual, a sensational feeling. God doesn't say the greatest of these is sentimentalism. He says the greatest of these is love. So it's nothing to do with your emotions. It's nothing to do with your senses. It's nothing to do with sentimentalism. Okay? So it's not romantic. It's not sexual. It's not physical. It's not emotional. It's not sensual. It's not sentimental. Okay? Thirdly, it is not a friendly spirit of tolerance. A friendly spirit of tolerance. We'll just get along and on all things we'll be charity. I'll deal with that in a minute. Okay? A brotherhood towards others no matter what my conviction is. You know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, you know, you may be pro-life, I'm pro-choice, da, 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 and we're just going to get, remember, united we stand. That's a common ground. Let's all get together and pray. Okay? Regardless of your conviction, we just need to love one another. You know, prayer gatherings. We can get the Mormons to come, the Jehovah's Witness, the Muslims. We're just all going to pray because, you know what, we all have prayer in common and we're going to do it in the bonds of love. That's not agape. Fourthly, for all of you who are King James only people, it ain't charity. Charity comes out of a Latin form of the word Agape. It ain't giving to Goodwill or United Way. Gathering up a big box of stuff to send down to Holly, Colorado. That ain't love. It's not romantic. It's not sexual. It's not emotional. It's not friendly. It's not charity. You know why? Because the loss can do every one of those. Okay? So the great profound question is, what the heck is it? I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) Go with me to a text that if you've ever been to a football game, you've seen it. John (laughs) 3.16. I just want to show you something. Do we really need to turn to that? okay just just curious i mean i don't know you guys don't don't like football i know i'm just a pagan at heart i've seen it all the time what's the dude with the purple hair and the john 316 thing mean i don't understand the purple hair (coughs) anyway well he does he's got the big old rainbow boot thing that sits there and holds up john 316 you go is that working (laughs) if that's working i'm in (laughs) get me a ticket God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so romanced the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God had so much charity on the world that He gave His only Son. God had a friendly spirit of tolerance, regardless of your doctrine. I'll give you my only Son. God was so sentimental towards the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see what I mean? I guarantee you all the definitions you can think of about what love is fall into the four I just gave you. And all four of those definitions do not fit that text. Love, he gave his son. It's an act of self-sacrifice. It is not a feeling. It is supernatural. It is not of nature. Now you gotta get a hold of this. I'm gonna hurt you here in a minute. Guaranteed. I'm a parent. And I bust on my kids. They deserve it. Okay? I made them, I'm allowed to. I have permission. I have a Bible text that shows it. If you do not like me picking on you, I'll take you out and stone you. (laughs) That's what my Bible says. I have no problem with this, okay? Actually, I take great joy into it. Okay, now let me ask you something. Some of you um, are or are not parents yet, but um, I guarantee you if you're not a parent right now, you know parents, okay? And if you watch Parents, and not lost or saved, Would a parent lay their life down for their child? How quickly? Would it even be a thought? Okay, let me ask you a question. Is that the love that we're talking about here? Nope. Would you lay your child's life down for Adolf Hitler? That changes. You would sacrifice your only son for people who hate you and hate your son. When you start talking about fruit of the Spirit, do you realize what you're saying? And all I have to say is, line up, get after it. Now then, if I'm not bearing fruit of the Spirit, then how am I exercising a spiritual gift and how am I manifesting Christ? You're not. It's counterfeit. It's a game. It's done in your flesh. We can lay our lives down for our children, but what about laying our our children's lives down for those who would hate you? Let me share with you something about this. That text right there with that nuance in it, let me show you this. Because of that love, there was a selfless action. Okay, here we go. Lord, I'm going to really need your help. How many times have you Been involved in a situation. Very heart-wrenching situation. Crushing situation. Maybe not you, but you got involved in a, a person called you, sought counsel or something like that. And these words fall out of your mouth. I know what you're going through. Okay? Perhaps you... Have done it. Uh, the, I guess one of the greatest ones is death. The death of a, a, of a sibling. The death of a, of, a, of a parent. Maybe even the death of a child. I know what you're going through. Is that love? Is that agape? Nope. Nope. Because agape doesn't say I know what you're going through. Agape says hey how about I pick you up and carry you until you get through this? Cuz see, I can say I feel your pain, but that's the emotion, that is the sensation, the sensation side of it. And that ain't an action. God so loved the world, what happened? I mean, it's great to know that God loved the world. But what happened? He took action. He didn't take action based on the world. He took action based on His love. Let's go on in John a little farther. John 13. John thirteen verse one. We're in the upper room. This is the instating of the Lord's table. Now before the John thirteen, verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Now look at this next phrase. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Hmm. Last meeting. He had loved his own. And it says to the end, uh, to the uttermost. Okay? It literally means in the original language, the agape was to perfection. Okay? Okay? He loved them to the end of the boundaries that love would exist. He loved them to what is the limit of love. He loved them all the way as far as love could possibly go. Cool, huh? You like that? Isn't that cool? That's neat stuff. He loved them to completion, to the fullness of. This is that word that drives me nuts when I hear counselors tell me about boundaries. What are the boundaries of love? To its completion. love them to the end. Well, he loved them. So he loved them to the end. In response to loving them totally, purely to the end... What was his response? Look at verse 4. He got up from the supper. He laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. And he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had girded. I love you completely and I'll show you I'll wash your dirty old feet. He loved them, and his love took action. His love didn't ask them, Would you like to have your feet washed? His love was so complete that he says, This is needed now. He loved them. He would washed their feet. You know what's amazing about this text? Not that God of Creator creation stoops to wash the feet of men, but the whole room full of men are sitting around arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to be on his right hand? Who's going to be on his left hand? And he puts a little rubber up and washes their feet. Look at verse uh, 14. How many of us have read this? If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet What does it say next? You also are to wash one another's feet I wrote a little note here in my notes now it comes home hard doesn't it? look at verse 34 same chapter A new commandment I give you. Where's he at? Same flow of thought. That you love one another. Amen, brother. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As what? What? I loved you. How was that? He stooped down and washed their feet. I can go in all the analogies. The lowest level slave in the household is the one who got to do the foot cleaning chores and all the rest of it. I don't need that analogy. That's God. God stooped down and washed my feet. Love is an act of self sacrifice. Love is an act of sacrificial giving. It's washing feet. It is giving your son. I ain't done. Let's go to chapter fifteen. Verse nine. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Did you get that? What comes out of love? Joy. Joy. How had he loved them? <laughs> he, he left heaven. He left heaven. He took on the veil of humanity. How much does he love us? He came into the world. He died for you. He didn't have to die. How had he loved? Just to appear Is an act of love that I can't comprehend. To die is beyond realization. He had a love towards God. Why? Why did Jesus come? God so loved the world, He what? No, 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 no. He sent His Son. Jesus' love for the Father is so great that whatever is your will... I will do it. How are you doing with that? Are we thriving yet? That's hard. Absolutely that's hard. It's an act of self-sacrifice of my will to do His will. 15 verse 13. Greater love than this. Lay your life down for your friends. That's a great definition. And you know what? You can see lost people who will throw their body on a grenade for their buddies. Is that it? No. No. My question is this simple. If you have that love, then why can't you live for the other? Now, stop. Make this personal. Look around you. How do you love? You look around you right now. These people you only have to spend eternity with. These people are called by your name. These people your Savior saved. I'm thinking he kind of liked them. And why would you ever have the audacity to think that you cannot love them or will not love them the way Christ loved them? And yet he did it for you. Do you see how corrupt the church has become? We have fed the flesh that it has become a place about me. What do you got for my kids? What do you got for my husband? What do you got for my wife? What do you got for the music? What do you got for, for this? What do you got for that? You got plasma? You got web? You got what? What do you got? And all I have to ask is, where is the love? The love that says, I'll send you my son. The love that says, you know what? My will is irrelevant. What would you have me do, Father? That's agape. That's agape. The love that says I will lay my life down on a continual basis moment by moment by moment by moment for whoever God brings into my life. Now do you see why I say it's supernatural? Go to John uh, 21. Cool. Do you see this? Red a rose petal in my Bible. And it's funny because it's on the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. And they say that red is uh, passion. I'd like to say I planned that, but <clears throat> Stephanie, I tell you, he plans all right. <laughs> I've seen him. He planned to get up in the morning. No. Uh, 21 verse 19. Now he said. This he said, now he's talking to Peter, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken these things, he said to him, what? Okay, let me share with you something. You are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourself. No one can most. What does it cost you? Your life. That's what he just told Peter. Peter makes several statements in the Gospel of John that, mm, I won't deny you. Mm, I'll meet you. Where will we go? And you know what Peter does. But he had to get the Holy Spirit to come inside. The intentions is great. You sit here today and say, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. My question is, will you live for him? Oh, yes, preacher. I'll live for him. Really. Then the people that you see around you right now, you will put them as greater importance than any, than any will or wish or attitude or action you have left in your life. Well, I want to go back to taking up the cross thing. (laughs) (laughs) Crucify. Let's do that one. Why? At least I see the end. Look at 15 through 17. You've all heard this. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, we all know this, Simon is his fleshly name. Peter is the name God gave him. Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Okay, well, you look around, Peter. I told you to wait here. I would be back. And you decided to leave Jerusalem, go up to Galilee and do what? Take up fishing again. And that whole night you fished and you caught absolutely water. Okay, and without divine intervention, you didn't catch nothing. He fishes like I do. Without <laughs> divine intervention or dynamite, I don't catch nothing. Okay? And he wouldn't listen. He says, Now, do you love me? Do you agape me more than all of this? All these things, all these people, everything you're doing. And he said to him, Peter, Yes, Lord. You know that I phileo you. You know what that means? You are the best. He said, then feeding my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I fully owe you. I'll do anything in the world for you. You know that you're standing here and whenever you're standing next to me, I'm invincible. And he said, shepherd my sheep. Okay, now let me tell you something. Both of those are pain in the neck positions. To feed lambs, who could care less about you and you know what that is right that's the nursery worker that's the little baby crying Christians that's the ones who are clueless they're excitable and they're into everything but they are clueless and he says if you love me even if you just like me feed them Okay, And you have to take a little bottle at a time and, and, and they spit it all out, and you put it back in, and they spit up on you, and you put it back in and you spit it back out, and you put it in, and you just got in them lamb chops. And I'm not talking about the little puppet. And if you don't know what I'm talking about on the little puppet, then repent. Third time he says, "Peter, do you even phileo me?" See, Peter's not stupid enough to say, I agape you, God. I am willing to give up my will for you. I am willing to give up my children for you. I am willing to lay them on the cross for you. I am not here for an emotion. I am not here for a feeling. I am not here for some kind of sensation. I ain't worried about giving to United Way or Goodwill. I am not here in a charitable means. Peter is smart enough to say, You know what? I think you're the best but I'm not stupid enough to know you know the hearts of men for me to say, I'll do that for you. And that's why when you look at the flow of the text, he says, know this, Peter. There's coming a time where they're going to take you against your will. It will be my will that you be crucified for me. And you ain't going to like it, by the way. He says, so Peter, don't worry. I gave you three opportunities. Do you really like me? He says, but don't worry, Peter. I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit in you. 510 of Romans says the Holy Spirit has put into you the love of God, the agape of God. You have the supernatural ability to love like Christ loves. Don't worry. I'll prove it to you. One last text. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Verse 7. I'll start with verse 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Both of these terms here you see are agape. Everyone who agape is born of God knows God. Intimate relationship and revealing aspect. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God is manifest in us and that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, sent His Son to be propitiation, substitution, mercy seat for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, what does it say? Let me ask you a question. Once you look around, are you willing to substitute for these people? That's what the text says. God so loved us, if you know God, you are indwelt by his love because he indwells you. That means that you're willing to love as Christ loved, and Christ loved to the point of substitution for sin. That's why when you read the text, if you ever read the text, it says, love covers a multitude of sin. As long as you don't sin against me. No. Love covers a multitude of sin. Truthfully, love covers all sin. God's love is a demonstration of an act of self-sacrifice. So should Ours. We talk about love. That's what you're talking about. The act of self sacrifice. Let me tell you something. It's humiliating. Did you know that? To love this way is absolutely humiliating. Because it basically says everything you would desire, everything you would want, everything you'd strive for is second to everybody else. And that's humiliating. What's in it for you? Zero. Zip. Nada. It is selflessness acted out. Please understand, agape love is never based on an emotion. It's never based on a feeling. It's never based on romance. It's never based on charity. It is based on pure action. Overwhelmed that that person is in need. At any time, any place. It is saying, I want to meet your need. Now. I want to do what God wants me to do. There's no self in it. There's no self-seeking. There's no pride. There's no selfishness. There's no self-glory. There's no vanity. It's absent. Completely gone. Okay? Now listen. I'm going to conclude it. I've got more, but I don't. I think I got my point across. How many? Now, I don't want you to think somewhere else. How many in this church right here? minister minister their gifts based on pride, based on attaboy, based on what they perceive as success, for fame, for glory, for look at me, look what I've accomplished. How many of them minister to be accepted? How many minister to get out of their divine obligations? How many minister thinking that they're paying their dues to God? How many are ministering because they want a spiritual pat on the back? There are a uh, plethora of reasons and motives that we minister Only one is legitimate. How many have gone before the throne and say, "I minister because I do it out of a sacrifice of myself to the will of my God and my Savior." The sacrifice of my life to the needs of my brothers and my sisters? That's the only legitimate reason. That's what Paul's getting at in the heart of First Corinthians. Nothing else really matters. Go back to your text. If you could speak the language of angels. If you have all mysteries, I know how. I know who the antichrist is. I know when Jesus is coming back. And you have not love, you know what? You're just noisy. You're a clanging cymbal. If you have all wisdom and knowledge and have love without love, you are nothing. If you've got enough faith that you can take the whole Rocky Mountains and put them right in the middle of Kansas City because they want them and you don't have love, you're nothing. You know what? If you lay your life down for the brethren... In an act of self sacrifice, and you do it without agape, it profits you nothing. So, do you see why I call this text The Importance of Love? Paul is calling on the church in Corinth but he's also calling on you and I to love. It's selfless and it's sacrificial. Sacrificial means this. I give of that that is precious to me and I give it willingly and freely. We are followers of Christ. We will be known for our love for one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you and I'm in awe of what you do. Father, thank you for what you've shown me. Oh, my king. Help me. Help me to love as you love me. Father, I beg you. Let me never, ever wander from that place. Help me. Father, we come before your throne, the author and finisher of our faith. And I praise you for the amazing things you do. Father, I praise you for those who want to be a part of this fellowship and membership. And I praise you, Lord, uh, for Michael and baptism. Father, It's because of Your love You gave Your Son and Your Son gave of Himself for Your will. Let that be us. In Christ's name, Amen.